Thank you, choir, for the reminder of the, the great hope that we have of Canaan land, the promised land that is to come through our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you uh, come ready to break open God's word today as we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Very famous story that I'm sure all of you know, but just to remind you of where we're going and what we're looking at over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I started last week in a little bit of a series to get us ready for Easter uh, and by looking at portraits of the king and the fact that God has given us a true king and that his purpose is for us to be ruled and reigned by a good and moral and right and true king uh, that is ultimately and finally known in Jesus Christ who came and lived the perfect life that we could not live and died the death that we deserved and as we celebrate on Easter, rose again for our justification. Uh, That kind of gives you the end before we get there, but as we're working towards that conclusion, last week we started out by seeing the failure of the first king. And we saw in Genesis chapter 3 that God had created Adam and Eve to be the rulers of this world to have dominion over all things and to subdue the earth, to bring the world into uh, under the rule of God, the creator. And Adam and Eve failed miserably in that uh, command. They in in an effort to short circuit uh, life under God's rule and to short circuit Uh, God's wisdom, they sought wisdom through another means, namely through the wisdom of the serpent, and uh, in that they brought all of humanity under condemnation. And so today we're going to look at the pattern of the true king. If Adam is the picture of the failure of a king, what is the picture of who a true king would be? What is the pattern that God has for a true king that will rule us and lead us in righteousness. And so we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13 to see that. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessings of this life. Lord, we thank you for the goodness that you show us in the life of David And we thank you for the pattern that he sets forward as the person that we should look for as a true and righteous king. Father, I pray that we would align our lives under the rule of Jesus Christ, who is our good king. And Lord, that we would live in submission to him. Father, I pray that you would bless me as I preach and that you would bless this, your congregation, as they hear, that we might be edified in your word. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all excuse me for a minute. I'm going to turn my mic down a little bit. I can tell it's pretty hot here. So uh, well, maybe that'll be a little bit better. and won't feedback as I go. But, you know, um, the thing that I want you to understand today, and I'm going to put forward the, the, basically the idea of the sermon right here to start with and then work it out. One thing that I want you to understand today is that everyone, everyone, wants a king, but no one wants the king they actually need. Everyone wants a king, but no one wants the king that they actually need. Now, this is true even in America where we elect our kings. Now, you might have caught 
that I said king and not president. I know here we call them presidents, but over the last couple of decades, our presidents have started acting more and more like kings. And we, quite honestly, have been quite happy with it. And we have been quite happy to treat them as such. Since George W. Bush, the office of the presidency has become more and more powerful, wielding the authority of executive order to bypass Congress and get done what, quote, the American people want. Bush justified it with a war. Obama justified it with an economic crisis. Trump justified it because of leftist activism. Biden justifies it because of a pandemic. And we, the people, have gotten exactly what we asked for. When Obama ran in 2008, a video circulated of school children singing a hymn about the hope and change that only Obama could bring. Evangelicals flocked to Trump in 2016 because, in the words of Jerry Falwell Jr., we needed a strong man to defend us. In the last election, a majority of Americans held their noses and voted for the oldest man ever to hold the presidency because they wanted to, quote, restore civility to the office. Every four years, we place all of our hopes and dreams for the country in one man or one woman, and then we watch with disbelief as they fail to meet the expectations that we had for them. I believe that this desire for a true and righteous king is something that we were created to have. Yet the king that we want is not the king that we need. And there's a story from 1 Samuel chapter 16 that proves that very truth. So follow along with me as I read 1 Samuel chapter 16 verses 1 through 13. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, God's word says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, uh, him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks to the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. 
Then Jesse, Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now from this passage, I want you to see two truths this morning. I want you to see God's purpose for the king and God's priority for the king. So first, consider God's purpose for the king from verses 1 through 5. Now in verses 1 through 2, Samuel, the writer, sets up an important context for us. God speaks to Samuel and he commands him to anoint a new king. And in saying this, he declares that he has rejected Saul as king over Israel. So just remember from your Sunday school days and from studying this story, remember Saul was the first king of Israel and he was anointed to be uh, king after the people of Israel had asked Samuel and God to give them a king. And God had directed the people to trust him as their true and rightful king, that they didn't need a king, that they just needed to follow the laws of God and to follow his leadership and they would have what they needed. But they wanted to be like the other nations. And so they asked Samuel to anoint a king for them. And so in response, God led Samuel to anoint Saul. Now, Saul was the king everyone wanted, at least to start with. He was a head above everyone else. He was a strapping young man. He looked the part. He was from a wealthy, well-connected tribe. He was a great warrior, but he was also crazy. (laughs) And he didn't love God, and he only looked after his own personal and family interests. Time and again, he failed to do what God commanded until God finally turned his back on Saul. So God directs Samuel to fill his horn with oil and seek out Jesse, the Bethlehemite, because one of his sons will be the next king. Now in this, I want you to understand that God has authority over the rulers of men. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He directs it wherever he will. Now this is good news to us as Christians for two reasons. First of all, because God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, we know that regardless of who rules us, God has a purpose in it. God may certainly bless a nation, and boy, I pray that one day he will by giving it wise and moral rulers. But God also has a purpose in giving a nation 
foolish and evil rulers. John Calvin said, when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers. So both truths are a comfort to Christians because we know that regardless of what happens, God has his hands on us and he has his hands in the direction and the course of history. And that ultimate direction and course is for our ultimate good. The truth of God's sovereignty also means that God knows exactly what we need. God has made us and he has made us for a good and righteous ruler. Because he has made us for those things, we know that God is the only one who can give us the ruler that we need. This means that no earthly ruler, regardless of how good and moral he or she may be, will ever satisfy our need for a true king. Now hear me on this. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter if you are looking to a good and righteous politician. The truth is, no matter how good that politician is, he will have some, with it, something in the closet that will disappoint you, that will let you down. It doesn't matter how good the preacher is, how, uh, how well he speaks. It doesn't matter how moral he lives. There will be something in his closet that will let you down. If you are looking to earthly leaders and rulers for your final hope in this life, that leader and that ruler will ultimately let you down. If you're going to have that true and righteous ruler, God must give him to you. God must provide him. Second, let's consider God's priority for the king from verses 6 through 13. Now here we find that Samuel comes to Bethlehem to meet with Jesse and his family. And at the sacrificial feast, Samuel asked Jesse to bring forward his his sons. And in verse 16, it says, I mean I'm sorry, in verse 6, it says that Samuel immediately looks at Jesse's oldest son Eliab and he immediately thinks, this surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now I don't know, it doesn't say whether Eliab was a big, tall guy with the burly shoulders and looked the part of a king or what it is, but I have to believe it had something to do with the way that Eliab looked because God tells Samuel not to look at the appearance, and he says, or his stature. So I have to believe that Eliab looked the part of the king, but God says... Do not look at appearance, for God looks at what? The heart. Then God makes Samuel go through every son of Jesse. And I think he did this for Samuel's sake as much as for ours. But he makes Samuel go through every son that was present at the feast. And God rejects every last one. And so Samuel asked Jesse... Is this all the sons you got? And Jesse happens to remember, oh yeah, David's out in the field watching the sheep. So Samuel has him go get him and Daniel comes forward, I mean David comes forward. And in this whole exercise that God put Samuel through, I want you to recognize two priorities of God 
in giving us the king that we need. First, the good and righteous king that we need is one who has the heart of God, one who has a heart for God. Oh, this is such a hard lesson for us to learn, just as much as it was for Samuel. But God does not look at outward appearance. During the 2016 presidential campaign, I remember watching an interview of one of the Trump rallies that he was holding. And it was one where he, he actually drove his, or he didn't do this, but his pilot drove his his Boeing 737 into the hangar and they had the, the, uh, the campaign in the hangar or the rally in the hangar and they drive, they're driving this Boeing 737 into the hangar and this reporter is interviewing this woman as she's watching this happen and the reporter asked, why do you think that Trump would be a good president? And she responded, how could he not? Just look at how successful he's been. I mean, doesn't the jet speak for itself? Now, as sinful humans, we can't help but look at outward appearances. We assume that if a person is good looking or strong or a great speaker, then he must be from God. But God doesn't consider the outward appearances. He looks at the heart. The king that we really need is one whose heart beats in the rhythm with God. Second, the king that we need has the heart of a servant. David was the least among his brothers. He was the youngest He was the one that was given the most menial task of shepherding the the flock. He wasn't even included in the ceremony that they had for the rest of his sons. Interestingly, I noticed as I was reading this that it says that Samuel consecrated Jesse and his sons. But he didn't consecrate David. The one who would be the king, the one who the whole ruse of this sacrifice was for, he didn't even consecrate David. While the rest of the sons of Jesse and Jesse are enjoying a feast with a national celebrity in Samuel, David was out doing the work that had to be done. David was neglected by his family, but he was chosen by God. And it is no small thing that David was a shepherd. The king that we need is one who serves the least. He is not proud, always expecting recognition from others. He is humble, even humble enough to serve the livestock. Brothers and sisters, Hear the good news of the gospel in this story of David. God has given us the king that we need, not in David, but in one who was of the house and the lineage of David. God has given us the king that we need from another son of Jesse who was born in a stable in the town of Bethlehem. God has given us the king that we need in a man who John says in John chapter 1 verse 11 came unto his own and his own people didn't receive him. God has given us the king that we need in a man 
who would wash his disciples' feet. God has given us the king that we need in a man that John would say in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus Christ is the king that we need. Jesus has purchased exactly what we needed in dying for our sins. And he has defeated our enemies by triumphing over death in his resurrection. There is no earthly ruler, no matter how good, who can do that for us. Therefore, there is no one in this world who deserves our wholehearted allegiance besides our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we serve him above every other ruler and every other power. And may we seek to make him known in the way that we live and in the gospel that we proclaim. This morning, we have a picture set before us of what this good and righteous king has done for us. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. And as we do, we invite anyone who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to join with us in taking of this supper. Because this supper is a picture of what our King has done for us. While we were yet sinners, He gave of His body and His blood on the cross of Calvary that we might be forgiven and that we might be made right with God. And through His resurrection, He has brought about a new kingdom, a kingdom that will never end. A kingdom that is pictured right here in this congregation in this very hour. As we remember this Lord's Supper, we are joined together by one faith to remember and to look forward to the day when Jesus will reign over all things. This meal that we take proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. And so we invite you, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to join with us in taking of this Lord's Supper. Let's pray as we begin today. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Word of God in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that shows us who the uh, pattern or what the pattern of the true and righteous King would be. And Lord, as we come to this time of the Lord's Supper where we are faithful to do as You commanded and remember what you have done for us through your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that the elements of this supper would preach to us, that they would speak of the body that was given in the place of our body, and that they would speak of the blood of the new covenant that covers our sins and brings us into right fellowship with you. Father, bless us now as we celebrate this supper. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.